Open our lips, O Lord, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. In last week's gospel, we heard that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And we talked about what that meant, that Jerusalem wasn't just Jesus on a geographic journey, because if he was on a geographic journey, he'd have gotten there in about six days. But instead, from last week's gospel reading to the time he gets to Jerusalem, takes about 10 chapters and it winds all over the place geographically. Lots of time where he just stops and has time in people's homes. It's all kinds of stuff. It's, it's saying that what Jerusalem is about isn't just that geographic destination. But by setting his face to Jerusalem, he was setting his face to what Jerusalem represented in his tradition. Jerusalem, as the psalmist says, the city of God, that place where all things will be restored, where all the things that have gotten out of balance and people over people and all that will be brought together, where all those who have been pulled apart, individuals and communities, will be restored. And so what he is setting his face to is the restoration of God. And that every moment of his life will be judged against, is this about Jerusalem or is this about something else? Is this moment about the restoration of God? And what does that look like? And so last week, Luke really sets kind of a demarcation line for us and says, this is the journey Jesus is on. And this is the journey of discipleship. And this week, what Luke is saying is, if you're going to go on that journey Here's the checklist. At 9 o'clock, we prayed for our junior high students who were going to Raleigh for a mission trip this week. Last week, we prayed for our senior high who is currently in Cuba. And I can guarantee you that both of those groups, I know because I saw it, had a checklist. Before you take this journey, this is what you're taking. This is what you have to have ready. And I'm sure, and most of you at least, some of us are a little more scattered on trips, but most of us when we go on a trip, you have that checklist. Do we have this? Do we have that? And Luke is saying, if you're going to set your face to Jerusalem as a faith community, here's what you need to have checked off. Several things. First he says, carry no purse, no bag, no shoes, or as someone has said in contemporary language, no wallet, no suitcase, or a change of clothes. Don't bring anything extra with you, and you're thinking, well, what's that all about? I mean, really, you're just going to wander out with anything with you? And what Luke is saying on the lips of Jesus is, don't take with you on this journey the things that will distract you and hold you back, that will encumber you, because you're going to have to be making moment-by-moment decisions, and you don't want stuff that's going to entangle you and hold you back. You need to listen and discern because the journey will be a difficult one and it will demand your presence now. So that like last week when people said, Jesus, I want to follow you on this journey, but let me go bury their dead, Jesus says, not today. Today's calling for something else. So travel light. We have a great example of someone carrying too much baggage in the second Kings reading this morning. It's a great reading. I don't know if you identified with it, but here is this commander, this revered one, who seems to have life, you know, pretty well, except that he has leprosy. And we could do a whole sermon on the fact that this young girl who they stole and trafficked with them, 
becomes the agent of God's word. That's worth about eight sermons right there. But in the whole ironic twist of the story, this man is told, go back to Israel, the prophet will heal you. The man goes. But then what happens when he gets there? He becomes enraged. What do you mean I have to go into your stinking river? Isn't my river good enough? Isn't it actually better than your river? And wait, you mean the prophet didn't even come out to see me? Don't I warrant that? You mean they just sent some messenger to me? Don't they know who I am? And he's enraged. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've had a sense of God calling you to restoration about something, but you're saying, you want me to go talk to them? You want me to go where, oh God? You want me to do what? Uh, No, I'd rather sit here with my leprosy. I don't know if you've ever done that. How dare you, God, ask me to do that so that I can be healed? That's too much baggage. Let go of what you think you're entitled to. We need to let go of what we think we're entitled to. We need to let go of our sense of we must do this, and it must be comfortable for us or else forget it, God. Don't carry any bag with you. Don't carry any purse. And second, Jesus says, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Could there be a clearer metaphor? Jesus is saying, understand what you're getting into. If you truly set your face as a community to Jerusalem, understand the resistance you're going to get. Understand that people aren't going to be enamored and grateful to see you. Understand that they're going to respond to you like that town last week in the gospel where Jesus and his buddies are coming to the town and they understood that his face was set to Jerusalem, the text says, and they said, don't come across this village border. We don't want you or your stuff. We surely don't want this Jerusalem stuff. I know some years ago, I must have told the story where when I was in Mississippi, um, some of the older clergy, and a parenthetical note, I kind of laugh when I talk about the older clergy back when I was in my 30s. Yeah, now I go to these diocesan meetings and I go, oh, wait a minute. I'm going to stop on that one and go back to the story. But at that time, anyway, the older clergy would talk about a bishop who had been prior to the one that was currently serving. And they said, you know, every so often, you might get a call from the bishop who's saying, you must not be doing your job because I'm not getting any complaints about you. (laughs) Yeah, take that one in. If everyone's loving everything you're doing, are you really doing the gospel? Because if you're on this journey to the restoration of God, you're going to stir some stuff up. You're going to stir it up in yourself, and you're going to stir it up in the community. That's really what Luke gives us as one of the markers if we are on the way to Jerusalem. Stuff's going to get stirred up. And expect it. Don't pretend. This is what you will face. And so he says one more thing that's vital here. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest on behalf of the laborers. Because if you do this without prayer, you're nuts. And in fact, you're dangerous. If you're just going out in your own stuff, thinking you're going to manifest the restoration of God, what you're really going to be manifesting is your own fears, your own angers, your own 
unfinished, unfinished stuff because this stuff is scary. This stuff is difficult. And to do this restoration of God, you need to be grounded, centered in the life of God. You need to be praying regularly and doing everything you can to be centered. It's easy for me to heap my judgment on others if they don't agree with me. They've rejected me. Well, some years ago I was in a small clergy group where we would get together, we'd pray together, we'd listen together, we'd discern together, and typically bring something that had been going on in ministry to share with the group to, to help get reflection from them on it. And I remember I was presenting one day and I was talking about a situation where I had not been received very well. And I described it. And then at some point I made the fatal flaw of saying, well, you know, they really didn't like Jesus either in his day. <laughs> yeah, thank you for laughing. That's what they did. <laughs> yeah, they started They got like smiling, snickering, and they were lighting up like a, you know, Fourth of July fireworks going, oh, isn't that convenient? So anytime someone rejects you, you don't have to look at yourself and think about how you participated in that. Hmm, wow. Okay, must always be Jesus, not you. And that's why we pray together. Because we need to make sure we are doing this from the groundedness and centeredness of God and not from anything else that we might bring to the table, any other baggage we might be bringing. Not from our fears, not from our anxieties, not from our willfulness. We are to pray personally and do whatever it is that you do to get grounded. And that's going to be different for all of us. But we all need to identify what is it that helps me personally ground myself and name and exercise the fears and the anxieties that I bring to this table. And then we need to pray together a whole lot and listen together and reflect together a couple of years ago, Millie was preaching, and she said something about the Bible. She said, you know, the Bible's a lot like alcohol. If you find that you're spending more time with it alone than in a group, there might be a problem. <laughs> and I would apply the same to prayer. If we find that we're spending a lot of time being centered and grounded, but not as much time praying together, there's probably the imbalance. Because when we pray together, then we can hear together and bring the bits of truth that each of us has that creates one larger truth. Plus, I can check my bits of truth, and you can check them for me when you want to say, Todd, that's a little too convenient for you, I would think. So travel light. Know what you're getting into. And pray together. And if we practice those disciplines, then we will find ourselves living into the second part of this gospel story. The second part of the gospel story is beautiful. It's Jesus and the disciples sitting around laughing and telling stories and celebrating. It's a light. Again, this is where you wish you had the visual because Jesus' face would be relaxed. They're sitting around sharing a meal. Say, so tell me again about what happened in that village. And they're saying, Jesus, even the demons submitted to us. Jesus, this person who the community had kicked out was restored, and the community was restored to them, and they were restored to the community. And Jesus is saying, 
Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, when you guys were out there, I saw Satan falling. Can you hear that about yourselves? Can you hear what I see in you? And they gather back from their mission to tell the stories and to realize that they are immersed in the life and restoration of God. They are essential to the restoration. They are essential to Jerusalem. They are not ancillary or something, God, well, all God, despite us, will make this happen. No, without us, it doesn't happen. That's how God sees it. And Jesus is looking at them, and Jesus is celebrating them. Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus celebrates you? That Jesus celebrates us? What is that about? Jesus looking at us and saying, yeah, I saw Satan falling through you guys. Well, the women are playing in the World Cup right now, and if I would shorten the sermon, you could get home and watch some of it, right? <laughs> Come on, Todd, let's go. Wrap it up, let's go. We need like some of the traditions that have those deacons that start going, mm, wrap it up, dude. Come on. But I'm sitting there thinking about teams, and I'm thinking about this story, and I'm thinking, what's it like for a coach to watch the players live into themselves? Not do they win or lose, but to live into themselves and manifest that which is in them. What kind of joy and celebration? And after they're done with whatever they've been through, sitting down and saying, let's go have a meal, let's go talk about it, let's celebrate what you just did. I mean, I talked about Alicia and Corey. What does their voice teacher feel when you get to hear their voices in a bit? And you sit there and you celebrate watching people be who they are and live into who they are. That's what God does with us. That's what Jesus is doing in this story. Tell me the stories, folks. Tell me what you saw. What was that like to be immersed in the life of God and to live Jerusalem? This is vital if we're going to be on this path, if we're going to set our face to Jerusalem. We have to celebrate again and again and again and tell the stories of where we have found ourselves immersed, where we have seen ourselves essential to restoration, immersed in the fullness of God's life, naming where we are exorcising the demons in ourself and in the community, naming where we are seeing healing naming where people are finding their inherent dignity. Vital, essential. And it's not where we stop. Because Jesus says, first of all, recognize the power that's in you. Recognize the life that's surging through you. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Don't simply rejoice that you have the capacity to move things or that you have power over people. Because if you get caught in the trappings of your power, well, then all you're going to do is start parading your weapons around. Then all you're going to do is start parading your power and idolizing your power, and then making sure you spend everything you can to maintain that power, emotionally, financially. And when the church gets into that, focusing on our power, 
well, then we just become one more corrupt group in the culture. Jesus says, know your power, rejoice in it, but don't stop there because that power is really just the outward and visible manifestation of the truth that you are immersed in the heart and life of God. And you are participating right now. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Don't carry a lot of baggage. Instead, walk around knowing and living that we are immersed in the life of God and manifesting what comes forth when we focus on that. For if we choose that, well, that's something worth celebrating.